Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 12 in our time together this morning. One of the things I know about everybody sitting here is that you have fears. Some people, well, you handled that pretty well, Phil. Several years ago, Ed Welsh wrote a book entitled, When People Are Big and God is Small. And, and what he was, or it's a great book. If you've, has anybody ever read It's a really, really, really terrific book. And, and, and what he was basically arguing in the book is that there are times in our lives where the fear of man, peer pressure, what people will think, overwhelms our fear of God. Do you see? And so the whole book, and so what I, what I want to do is I want to kind of turn that on its head today from Luke chapter 12. Because this is obviously what Welsh wanted to say too. In our lives, God needs to be big and people need to be small. Do you see the difference? And this happens in a whole variety of ways in our relationships. It happens in our home. It happens at work. It happens at school. All kinds of ways. But the area that's focused on in this particular text is when we get afraid, when it comes to living and sharing the gospel, talking the gospel with others. Does anybody here ever get afraid when it comes to sharing? I mean, we all do, don't we? I had an interesting experience this week. I w went down to the shore uh, with my family on Monday for the day, down to Ocean City, and had, had a nice time. Although, I, I have to tell you, I... I I would love a beach if it didn't have any sand, personally. <laughs> I would like grass right down to the, uh, to the ocean. and Because I, I enjoy the sea. I just don't like all the sticky, sandy stuff. But anyway, that that's, has nothing to do with anything. So just discard that. But So we were down there, went down there to meet some family members. And they had brought some friends along. And um, uh, anyway, in the midst of, of our discussions, the... One of the, the women of the friends, we were, to, we were talking together, and she said, Doug, basically she said, Doug, you don't believe in a literal heaven and hell, do you? <laughs> you know, we're, we're just having a discussion. She knows I'm a religious guy, so <laughs> boom, that was the first question. You know, I'm thinking like, well, yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> you know, and then that launched into what is the gospel? Are you saying Jesus is the only way? And just launched into the but But I have to tell you, when we started into the discussion, um, I was taken back a little bit. I mean, I was there to swim. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was just trying to be a nonchalant, um, under-the-cover Christian, you know, just kind of doing my, you know, no. But, but I went, and, and also, and, and in that moment, I'm thinking, God, I came down here to be the beach to have a good time. I didn't want any pressure. But God was saying, opportunity. But you have fears in those moments, don't you? What are you going to say? Now, in all honesty, it's a whole lot easier in America than it is for a lot of our brothers and sisters around the world, isn't it? And the kind of pressure and persecution and death that comes, the fear of man rather than the fear of God, it's intense. When we come to Luke chapter 12, this is the setting. 
Look at what the text says. Luke chapter 12 and verse 1. I'm just going to read a couple, three words, and then I'm going to go in and talk a little bit. But it says, under these circumstances, at, well, I'll read more than that. After so many thousands of the multitude had gathered together that they were stepping upon one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all. Now, I want you to think about this. If you remember, and if you don't, I'll tell you. When we were talking last week, this whole passage in chapter 11 and 12 and, 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 is, is, and even yeah, all the way through chapter 12, you're in this context where Jesus is talking to the crowds. These are big crowds, and he's, he's telling them and reminding them, look, 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 you've got to get serious about this message I'm giving you. And then in that context, remember Pharisee has him in for lunch? Doesn't go so well, right? Because Jesus keeps saying, hey, you guys are in trouble too because of your legalism, the whole thing. And at the very end of chapter 11, the Bible says in verse 53, and when he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to become very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. So Jesus goes out of that situation and the whole religious establishment says, we are going to get you. We will plot against you. We will question you. We will set you up. So you have a crowd that gathers around Jesus. A huge crowd. Many are there, though, for all the wrong reasons. And you've got religious leaders that are looking for every moment, any chance they can, to nail Jesus. Do you see? And in that context, under these circumstances... With an iffy crowd, antagonistic religious leaders, Jesus says to his own, to us, couldn't that be fearful for you? I mean, Jesus is already saying, I'm leaving. And you're thinking, wow. So what does he say to his people? If you have your notes, you can look at the notes, if not, I'll tell you, but I would suggest to you that he encourages them with that kind of pressure and opposition. He encourages them and he encourages us by basically doing through, by telling us three things. First of all, he tells us what we have. Look at what he says here in verses one to three then. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light and what you have whispered in the inner rooms shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Now, I have to tell you, folks, I don't want to get into deep, you know, too much here, but just to tell you, there are two very different interpretations of the first three verses. Can I give them to you and tell you which one I prefer? And I'll, I'll give you a couple reasons why. I'll, I'll try not to give you too much. But, but here's one way you could read this passage. And it's one way some very good scholars read it. And it's a biblical truism. It's true. I'm not questioning that it's biblical. My question is if that's what's going on in this text. That's all I'm saying. Okay. First position says this. Hey, guys, disciples, see this religious establishment around us? They're marked by hypocrisy. You need to be careful that in your lives you don't buy into that same influence and that you become hypocritical. And I'll tell you why you shouldn't become hypocritical. Because 
you can't hide the private motives of your heart anyway. And at some point in the future, God will reveal it all. Now, is that true? I mean, Paul will say that in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4 and find it all over the place. It's absolutely true. Here's the other interpretation. It's the one that I would lean toward. Guys, and, and it's all about what is he talking about when he says something is hidden. Is the hiddenness something like my hypocrisy that's hidden that's going to be revealed? Or here's the second position. <laughs> and it totally changes how you understand this passage. Or is that which is hidden the gospel? And I'll tell you why I prefer the second position. Because the language of something hidden that is now being revealed in Luke's gospel is all about the fact that the gospel is going to be known. You can't stop it. Matter of fact, when you get to the book of Acts, that's what it's all about. You unleash the gospel. You put Paul in prison in Acts chapter 28, and guess what? The gospel is still unhindered. It just keeps going. So I want to argue that what Jesus is saying here is this. Men, when you fear when you're intimidated and you're pressured by the religious leaders around you and you're wondering, what do I do here, God? Look at what you have. Beware what they have. This leaven, this influence, which they are trying to impact into the world around us, it's all hypocritical. It's not of God. But realize what you have. You have something that right now, disciples, you may think only a couple people know about it. You're just kind of speaking about it here and there. But I want you to know something. With what I'm going to do in the future, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, coming of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, all that stuff, this gospel cannot be contained. It is going to go forth in a marvelous way. So when you feel pressured by a religious establishment that's pushing, 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 or in our day, secularism that's pushing, 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 or whatever the pressure is, realize something. That you have the truth of the gospel. It cannot be contained. It cannot be stopped. It is just going to go forth. Remember, um, remember that old... Uh, Oh, that, that battery commercial, that, that little boat, Energizer Bunny, thank you, Tim. It just keeps going and going and going. You can't stop it. It's just, look out. And I think what he's telling his disciples, so you've got this entire, I mean, look, you're the disciples, you're thinking, the religious leaders, man, they're against us. They're plotting, they're hating, and Jesus is making these statements of going, and like, whoa, whoa. And in the midst of all that, Jesus says, watch out because it may, you may be intimidated by it, but don't be. Because you have something that can never be contained. That can never be stopped. So, what do we have? In the midst of that pressure, when, we're, when our tendency is to be afraid, we got the gospel. Matter of fact, when I was talking to the woman um, down there, down there at the beach, 
One of the things she said, she said, oh, Doug, what is the gospel anyway? Well, that's a really great question to ask a, a, a preacher. So I told her. And then she said, hey, I got to make a phone call or something. I don't know. So she, she kind of cut that one off. So we, we, that conversation kind of ended. But, but any, anyway, but you know, we have this. And you know what I believe? When you give the gospel to people, God's spirit works in a way that you can't possibly imagine. You say, but I didn't say it exactly right. God, just do it. Let God work. Do you see? What we have, number one, verses four to seven, who we know, who we know. Look at what he says in verses four. I say to you, my friends, wonderful that Jesus called you his friend you know in the ancient world for a ruler to call you his friend was off the charts it was to bring you into his counsel and give you all kinds of authority and Jesus looks at this group that could be shaking and shuddering because of the impact of the religious establishment I mean all the people believe this and Jesus comes in and says my friends, I want you to know something. Well, tell us, Jesus. My friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. Now, I have a question on that one. Okay, they can't do anything after I die. But they can kill me. Don't be afraid of those that can kill you. Nothing really helps me with that statement unless you give me a comparison that's greater than it. <laughs> Does it? Uh, Doug, don't worry about going out there. There's a bunch of guys out there with guns, but, but don't worry. All they can do is kill you. I <laughs> know, oh, that's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, so you got to compare it to something greater, don't you? To bring perspective on this. Jesus is not saying there's not people around there that might not intimidate you and bring anxiety to you or, or concerns to you, for a better word. Yeah, that, that's all true. But I want you to see somebody that you should fear much, you should ultimately fear, so that what goes on here doesn't impact you. That's what he's saying. It doesn't mean you won't have concerns about it. Look what he says. But I will warn you whom you should fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Here's what's interesting to me about this passage. Yeah, but can't they kill you? Yeah. Would disciples of Jesus Christ be killed? Absolutely. Are they being killed today? Will they be killed in the future? Yes, yes, yes to all of that. But you cannot live your life under the grip of them. You must live your life under him. Because he is the sovereign who is just, who at the end of the day has power over what you experience now with death and where you will end for all eternity. Now, if that's all Jesus said, could be a bit crippling, couldn't it? 
Here is a sovereign who can kill you now and damn you for all eternity. Yeah. Isn't that, you know what I'm saying? I mean, does that take you back a little bit? But you must see, after Jesus has addressed them as friends, that Jesus is not talking about a sovereign who is marked merely by anger and wrath that has no concern, but you better get your act together. That's, that would be a wrong view of God. He is a sovereign, that's true, that is just and has authority over all. That's true. But he is also a sovereign who compassionately loves us. Look at what he goes on to say. Verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two cents? And yet, not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, you are of more value than many sparrows. You see what he's saying? You don't have to fear men you can fear God, not only because he is the one with all authority. That's absolutely true. But he is the one who loves you. You see, it's both, isn't it? Um, I'm not much of a bird watcher. Except that once in a while I'll watch a bird come and land on a branch. Say, oh, it's yellow. You know, that, that, that's about the extent of, hey, look, it's a yellow bird. And then that's it. That's, all, that's pretty much all I do. And I certainly don't go around and look for dead birds and count how many fall in my neighborhood or any of those kinds of things. Because I could care less. God knows it all. Every sparrow, every animal, whatever it is, no matter what the value, God knows it all. And if God is in tune with that kind of particularity, how about you, who he loves because of his son? It changes everything, folks, doesn't it? He knows the very ha the hairs in your head. Now, I know for some of you, that'd be easier for God to know than others because <laughs> you don't have too many. But, 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 the point is, he knows everything about you. And he loves you. And in this passage with the pressure on, and the disciples are saying, whoa, under these circumstances, Jesus looks at his own and he says, you guys have the gospel. It cannot be stopped. And you know God. And God is the sovereign of the universe that loves you so much that he knows everything about you. Down to how many hairs you have in your head. Does that mean he won't let anything bad happen to us? Let me show you another verse. Would you flip real quickly over to Luke chapter 21? And verse 18, this is one of those verses where it, it, uh, it just, it, 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 there's a sense in which it makes me chuckle. Okay, so I'll just say that. In this passage in Luke chapter 21, Jesus is talking about 
um, persecution and death that will come to some of his saints. It says in verse 17, And you will be hated by all on account of my name, yet not a hair of your head will perish. I've never thought about that. Oh, okay, God. So I die. Put me in that casket. But my hair looks pretty good. <laughs> like, how's that help me at all? It doesn't mean that I won't face difficulty or possibly even death. It means that nothing can come to me apart from the loving watch care of my God. Do you see the difference? So you can fear the one who is all powerful and has all authority and will watch your back no matter where you are or what you do so that nothing will come to you apart from his permission. So you are freed to minister. Do you see? Back in the mid-1500s, Hugh Latimer, a clergyman, was giving a message to Henry VIII. Now, you've got to be careful with Henry VIII. Because you know what? If Henry VIII doesn't like what you say, you're out and you're in prison or dead. Matter of fact, Latimer would actually be killed a few years later by Bloody Mary. I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit, but his biographers tell us Latimer got up to preach and he said this, something like this. I'm paraphrasing. Latimer, Latimer, remember before whom you stand. It's King Henry VIII, who if he chooses can cast you into prison or end your life. And then he hesitated. And he said this, Latimer, Latimer, remember before whom you stand. It is the God of heaven who can both kill and cast into hell. And our, his biographers tell us he went on to preach what Henry VIII needed to hear, not what he wanted to hear. Do you see, that's how it works, isn't it? Where God is so big that people become small. And in comparison, I am freed because God has my back, my front, my side, my all to go and to minister. What we have is the gospel. Who we know is God. And lastly, verses 8 to 12, what he will do, what he will do. Look at what it says. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man shall confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him. Now, again, Jesus, it seems to me, is saying one of two things. He's either saying, 
Okay, guys. You better be serious about following me, not mess around. Because if you confess me, you'll be in heaven. If you don't, you won't. And don't mess around because if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you'll never be forgiven. Okay? Now, there's no question in the Gospels, Jesus will at times pressure his disciples to say, be who you say you really are. That's true. If you say you are a follower of Christ, then live like it. There's no question about that. But I don't think that's the emphasis here in this passage. I think what he's saying is this. Men, you have the gospel, you know me. What you have is a God who is in control and will bring ultimate justice in his time. So there are people who confess me like you, who will be confessed before the Father. And there are people that deny me like those in the crowd and the Pharisees around, and they will be denied before the Father. Men, women, my disciples, you can go forth with authority and preach the gospel to others. You don't have to worry about the ultimate outcome. God will take care of that. He will watch over you. He will watch over them. There's only two kinds of people. There's those that are for Christ and those that are against Christ. That's it. That's it. God doesn't mark us off based on um, our social status or what nation we're from. He marks us off this way. Those that know and confess and those that don't. Now, the unpardonable sin. You find it here in this passage. You find it also in, in, in the other synoptics. Um, let me just say this pastorally. If you worry in your heart that you've committed the unpardonable sin. You haven't. Um, I've dealt with enough people through the years who come in and thought, Doug, I lost my salvation. I've lost it all. I, 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 I said something. I thought something about the Holy Spirit. I'm damned. I'm done. It says you can't ever be forgiven. And, and bottom line is, if you're concerned about it, you're fine. It's not what it is. And I know there's debates on this kind of thing. Here, here would be my take on it. This sin, the sin against the Son of Man will be forgiven, probably means there are people who hear the gospel, hear the truth. Son of Man is a bit of a cryptic term for Jesus. And they don't fully understand what it all means. Those people still have hope of God convicting them and them coming to faith in Christ. But those individuals that come face to face with the truth of God through his spirit can't be denied. It's all around them. And they keep saying, no, 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 no. At some point, folks, and I have no idea when, and it's not up to me to even determine. It's up to God. God will give people what they want. Okay. You can have it. Now, when does that happen? I don't know. Wouldn't you have thought the Apostle Paul would have committed this sin? I would have for sure. I mean, he's a blasphemer for goodness sakes. He says it. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, God 
has taken the worst of sinners and been merciful for one reason, to show all sinners that you can come. And so when the unpardonable sin occurs is not something that should ultimately concern us. That's an issue with God. We are called to communicate to people, but we need, people need to, know, need to know this. When you communicate the gospel to them and they flippantly say, no, 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 no. At some point, God may say, okay, okay, okay. It's his choice, right? How he works is his choice. And so it's not our job to determine this or that. We just need to keep proclaiming a God who is great, who is merciful in the person of his son. And this passage is saying, you guys need to realize something. I am the great God who will right all wrong at the end of the day. Those that confess will stand before me. Those that deny will not. Those that live lives where they're opposing me will get what they want. It frees us, folks, doesn't it? You ever have people say, well, are you telling me I'm not a Christian? I always say, look, I'm just telling you what God says. What's going on in your heart? You've got to wrestle with that with, before God. I'm just, I'm just like giving you the, giving you the material. You've got to go with it from there. And isn't that the truth? I mean, it's not my job to say, that guy saved, that girl's not. How do I know all that stuff? We leave it with God. What do we have? We have the gospel. Who do we know? The God of the universe, Tim, the majestic one, who has all sovereign authority and loves Doug Finkbeiner. He's counted all my hairs, knows them all. He loves me, he loves you. It's incredible. What will he do? He will do the work in people's heart. He will be the great judge at the end of the day that does whatever needs to be done. I can leave it with him. But in the process, he will help me. Look what the text says. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not become Anxious. Oh, really? Okay, I'm trying. About how or what you should speak in your defense. Hey, why do you believe that? Who says? Do you know what that means? Hey, you. You ever feel that way with people? I mean, you'll, you'll be like, well, like, I, 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 right? Okay, all right. We, we all get there, all right? Or what you should say. Okay, so it's not just defending myself, but after I've defended myself like that, what do I say now? Okay, we all worry about that stuff. Look what he goes on to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The Spirit that's working in people's lives, convicting them, drawing them, working in their hearts, is the same one who is with you in those moments and you say, ah, bah, ah, bah, ah, bah, ah. you don't know what to say. And he says, I help you. I'm with you. So I got the gospel. I know God. And I can move into people's lives with God, the Holy Spirit, working through us. 
knowing that he'll handle everything that needs to be handled. Does that free us? Man, does that free us. So, let God be big as we proclaim his powerful gospel in the midst of opposition. In 1521, Martin Luther had a very, very, very important meeting in a place called Worms. And actually, the first time he was there, the first day, it was all the inquisitors and all the pomp and circumstance of the church standing around and they got all his books and they put them on the side there and they said, will you recant everything you've written there? And, and he was just nervous, scared, frightened. And, and, and I guess in his mind, he's probably thinking, well, you know, matter of fact, he says later, some of the stuff I put in there, if it's not biblical, it should be cast out. He'll, he'll say that later. So he's struggling and said, can I get back, talk to you tomorrow? So he went away and people were somewhere laughing. Different. They brought him back the next day, went through the same process again. They said, will you recant? Like, who do you think you are? And among other things, he said this. Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes or councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against my conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. You know, when I was talking to that woman at the beach, it wasn't even close to that. But I had an inkling of opposition. And God says, let me be big. Um, remember who I am. I'm big. Re remember what I've given you. And remember that I am with you in the process and I will ultimately be just at the end of the age. So go. Go to West Virginia and do my work. Go to Teen Challenge and do my work. Wherever it is, folks, go to your neighborhood. Go to your extended family. Go to your workplace. And let God be big. Father.